This holiday season, pay tribute to the people who fought for our freedom to celebrate. Featuring the largest American flag in the region, Spirit Park is now open at National Harbor, honoring active duty military and veterans. Take some time this holiday to remember, offer gratitude, and be inspired by the sacrifices of our service men and women who make our way of life possible. Plan your visit at nationalharbor.com slash spiritpark. That's nationalharbor.com slash spiritpark. So Luther, I think, gave us the formula for how to handle these things. It's to stand on Scripture alone and let the chips fall where they may. We're on the we're on the same side. We may disagree on certain theological issues, yeah, but, I, but I, we're I, on I, the same I, side. No, not at all. And, and look how nice we are to each other. No, I enjoy this and uh, appreciate all you do out there for the Lord. It's like you know what. What are you doing? You're spending all your time trying to destroy another Christian because you don't understand what's going on when you should be out there winning people for Jesus. Uh, we're not supposed to be blind sheep. We're supposed to be Bereans. And so just to, no matter who it is, this goes for everybody. Um, you're, I'm, a, I'm a big fan of yours. I'm a big fan. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's true. I, I love watching you and I love hearing what you have to say. And I think you're a, a great blessing to the body of Christ. Welcome to this week's episode of Conversations with Jeff. I'm really excited to to have back Stephen Black back to the podcast. Welcome back. I'm glad we could sit down again. Yeah, good to be here. Thank you. Yeah, and so, you know, like, you know, we we had you on, I don't even know how many months ago, six months ago, whatever it was, and I know a lot has transpired since then. So it'll be, we've got got a lot of, a lot of issues we can be discussing. (laughs) Yeah, a lot of things have. A lot of things in our culture as well with uh, all this whole LGBTQ craziness yes. and in the church. Yep. Yeah, for sure. Now, I know one exciting thing that you've got going on that, that you've started since the last time we had you on was your was your new show, which which is the Freedom Realized Live, I believe, off the top of my head. Um, so so what what kind of inspired you to go down that route and launching this new show? Well, I have to give a shout out to my uh, good friend, Peter LaBarbera, who uh, had started something himself, but he had been on me for a few years that he felt like, you know, it would be a natural, you know, good offering to speak the truth from a biblical perspective on the issue of homosexuality and then to uh, call for leadership, church leadership, to, to take action because so many leaders in our day are very passive about this issue. And then to always end on a high note with testimony. And so uh, actually more than uh, a third of the, the program really is a, uh, about hopefully uh, each week having a testimony, uh, which is called the bold compassion part. So there's three segments, bold truth, bold courage, bold compassion, and, um, yeah, it was, I was inspired actually by Peter LaBarbera and, uh, and, you know, I, I think it's indicative of the need for all of us. I was thinking about this earlier this morning for, uh, many people in the church. I mean, you're, you're, 
you're pretty strong yourself as a, you know, I consider a young man, but so many other people are not uh, encouraged to, to really be a voice. And there's so many talented people and people that should be filling up the airways with truth uh, because there's so much lack of it. I mean, the, there's so much airwave out there that is filled with lies and we need the truth. So that's, that's how it came about is, you know, speak the truth. And we've been having fun with it and it's growing. Yeah, yeah, and that, and that, that's the thing that I keep coming back to is I feel like there is this void, especially with, amongst the conservatives and amongst the Christians, to have more voices out there. And I yeah. think, and I think for so long, because we've always had you know regular radio and regular television, we've always we've always relied on the celebrity pastors or the yeah. big names. And now with technology, the rest of us can now have a voice, like. You know, and then you can build your own following. If you have a compelling argument, people will listen to you. That's just the reality of of the game now. It's no longer controlled by just the big boys in in the big churches and the big mega conferences. You know, that's right. That's what's so good about it. And quite frankly, uh, I think the way things are going with all this, um, you know, social media takeover by liberals is there's going to be a growing platform of conservatives uh, moving out out onto the the uh, the greater web out there um, and uh, I think we're going to be seeing some new uh, new offerings you know Facebook and Twitter and you know some of these others that have dominated I think we're going to see that in the next 10 years uh, start to to change at least some of the people that are a lot smarter about the internet than I am, uh, that are in media and broadcasting that are saying there's a lot of thought being given to that from a conservative mindset. I mean, I think it'd be awesome if there was like this on road where automatically networked like minded people and you didn't have to try to make that happen. And uh, that's some of the brilliancy of what people are are processing and thinking in a very organic way that it would happen in a rippling effect without the control of some of these other uh, really power brokers of media. So I, I'm hoping that happens, and I hope to live to see to see it to to happen, and maybe even be a part of uh, the next wave of a, a of a national revival. That's what I pray, anyhow. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, and, and I th- and I think part part of the problem that we're seeing with a lot of the big tech companies, just in general, with you know censorship and just and with even just their algorithms for how you see things, it's I I think that there is a great need, and I know certain people like you know I know Jordan Peterson is working on his own social media platform. I know that there's like Parler, there's Gab, there's all these different alternative things. None of them I don't feel like have really caught on crazy big to, to really compete with Facebook and Twitter and that sort of thing. Um, but, I, but I think at a certain point, I think a lot of us within the conservative and Christian perspective are going to really have to, at least for now, really start pushing people to our own websites and, right. and figure out how to cross-promote from there and bypass the social media platforms altogether. Because right now, like for example, I, 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 had, I had a video that was up with uh, Dr. Michael Brown, which you would think would get crazy amount of hits on YouTube because I mean I mean he was just on Piers Morgan he's on all these shows and that sort of thing and it started off a lot of hits a lot of hits and then all of a sudden it just stunted out of nowhere and it's right. just and it's just like at a certain point it's like that that should have been probably one of my top five 
yeah. e- easily with that with with him on there. But they just they they shut it down really quickly after some quick growth in the beginning. So it's really interesting how even just the algorithms just mess with conservatives and Christians. So they saw that you started getting noticed mm-hmm. and then censored it down. Yeah. By the algorithms, they made it go. Down, they they pushed it down. Yeah, and, and I and I and I've read some articles and uh, saw some different like tech people talking about it, and they actually they have software that almost immediately recognizes all of everything you say in the video. And so if if even one of some of the words that you say trigger something within their algorithms, that will stunt how you show up in the Google in the Google search results and the YouTube search results and that sort of thing. So it's we're not even just talking about like straight up censorship. We're talking about like programs that are developed to promote progressive ideology and keep down the conservative ideology. Well, that doesn't surprise me. Uh, about a month ago, um, I ha- I can't even remember what it was, but it was um, a tweet I put out there, and it got a lot of attention. And you know how you can go on there and see what the impression is and how many hits. Well, this particular tweet got over 54,000 uh, people that, that looked at it, and the impression was like several hundred thousand. Well, the very next week... <laughs> I'm not making this up. This this really happened. I get put in Twitter jail for making a comment, just a, a really kind of a benign um, opinion about these college girls who had uh, had these signs out on a college. It was a life site story. Uh, life site deals a lot of uh, uh, their pro life site Catholic news site that deal a lot with. Um, you know, abortion issues. And they had done this story about these college girls that had these signs and they were holding them up and the sign read, and this is outrageous, but it, they actually, you know, I think they're just deceived, but they said parasites have no rights. So they were likened unto a, 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 an unborn child inside their womb as a parasite. And so they were obviously pro-abortion girls. And all I said on my tweet is, uh, to LifeSite, this is disgusting. That was it. And that got me blocked on Twitter for a week. And I was told that it was because it was a hateful post. By just giving the opinion that these college girls holding up these signs that Unborn babies are parasites. That the opinion of this is disgusting is hate speech. So that's um, I, I think it it got me flagged to begin with by somebody out there, the powers that be in the Twitter world, that are also seeing that you know I'm putting out the Freedom Realized Live, and they saw that, so they did it in such a way that it blocked two of those. So they did it from. Um, from uh, 10 o'clock in the morning on a Friday to noon the following Friday. So they knocked out two, two Freedom Realize. Wow. You know, because it goes out there on Periscope and stuff. So, you know, somebody was thinking about it. Yeah. And, and this is what is happening. We're not making this stuff up. And if it's happening to someone little like me or, you know, someone, I wouldn't say you're little, but, you know, we're not on the grand scale of, you know, cable news. Uh, this current this 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 is crazy. 
They really are afraid of our free speech. They hate it. Yeah, well, which is true, and and I and I think that again, this kind of comes back to the whole issue: are they are they a platform or are they a publisher? Because because really, when 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 they are coming in and they are editorializing what you can post and what you can report, all of a sudden now, to me, they should be liable for what for what's on their platform. Whereas if if they were just having a platform and then it was just we can post whatever we want, which is how it used to be. Then it would be like, okay, they're not liable. So I, at a certain point, we're gonna, as a country, I think we're gonna have to decide: are are these guys responsible for what's on their platform or not? Well, and you know, there's the uh, the consumer and uh, goods and service uh, about you know the very things that you know some of these LGBT have been going after ministries on consumer fraud. Well, here's the reality: they're supposed to be a provider of speech. And if, in fact, they are to be a provider of speech, they legally should be held accountable for censoring. And, you know, that we have um, laws on the, the radio airwaves and TV, and there used to be, you know, decency laws. And, and yet all of this seems to have eroded away. But in social media, they're getting away with a lot on this censoring and so this this really does need, uh, I think, a federal law and um, and not to make it to where it's um, in any way oppressed. I think it makes it should make it to where it is broad. And uh, but I also think that it would be great like what was in the 90s proposed that there would be for any adult sites that they would have to have XXX instead of WWW. And that was actually proposed, and it got shot down. And there's no reason why it should have been shot down. You know, all that is 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 just trying to protect children. Uh, but, you know, they think that it's a freedom of speech issue. So there's a lot of, um, you know, ambiguity and, and really not truthfulness. There's, there's not genuineness in this discussion. Um, it really is a political motivation that is holding back a lot of this. Yeah. And then, you know, um, offline, we had talked about, you know, what happened last year with the God's Voice Conference. And that's that's pretty big, actually. And several uh, conservative um, news sites took that on. Yeah, which is which is really good. And, and I want to get to kind of some of the censorship stuff that you guys did experience. But let's back up a little bit and let's talk about how God's Voice actually went. Because when we had when we had you on last time, you know, it yep. was like I think a few weeks before you guys actually had the conference, and you're kind of lead, leading up to it and that sort of thing. How did the conference actually go? Like, what was the, what was the response from people? Like, what, what was your what was your experience there? Well, it was it was amazing, honestly. Be, uh, we had some hiccups um, in the planning. Uh, in that uh, one of the churches that we were supposed to have had it uh, ended up pulling back. Uh, the senior pastor actually wanted us to move forward, but I felt like with the gay activism that was oppressing the church and oppressing actually the staff, uh, that we um, we needed to pull away. And part of it was is the controversy over the, um, the, the subtitle, which was a, a biblical response to the querying of the church. And so you have really, honestly, some very naive and uh, very um, 
uh, ill-informed Christian conservative leaders that took issue with the word queer and queering. Well, Jeff, as you probably know, as a younger person, uh, the reality is, is that this isn't our terminology. And this was coming straight out of Revoice at the time. Uh, because God's voice was in response to what was happening in the Presbyterian Church of America, the Gospel Coalition, uh, the Southern Baptists, um, the ERLC. I mean, just all of these groups that were actually, when you started doing some of the investigation, in either very loosely or some way tied to the gay Christian message or the what they were called the the queer Christian message or the LGBTQ plus message. And so we weren't in any way being derogatory. The fact was, is that there was this tagline that we used, a biblical response to the querying of the church. Well, some of the young people on this staff, along with this gay activist, started listening to the voices And they started getting an idea, oh, my goodness, now we're going to offend the LGBTQ community, and we don't want that as a church. And I'm like going, guys, really? Um, The gospel is offensive. And uh, if you tell the truth, you are for sure going to bring an offense. Now, yes, the way that you talk about these things, you don't want to have a hateful or you know, unredemptive message. Uh, And that wasn't in our hearts at all. And if you get to know people like Janet Meffer or uh, uh, Tom Littleton or Peter LaBarbera or Pastor Al Baker or Dan Fisher or Paul Blair, you know, all the, the leaders that were around this, none of the testimonies, none of the people had any animosity towards, you know, the idea that we were, you know, like the, the, the Westboro type gang. And, and yet we were actually put in that light that we are this, some really hateful, evil group of people that had it in for the gays. And so we had to move the conference and that brought a, a, you know, a bit of a, 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 an unfortunate, stressful situation. But I had honestly uh, a man who has become a dear brother and a friend of mine. Uh, You might want to try to have him on sometime. He's an author. He's an amazing speaker. His name is Pastor Paul Blair. He was, uh, you know, a lineman for the the Cubs and the Vikings. I mean, he's he's quite the man's man, but he's also quite an awesome, fiery preacher. Um, And and I just love him. He said, brother, we're not afraid. We're not afraid of the LGBTQ. Come bring the conference over here. So, you know, we did that. And um, this church was so gracious to us. They hosted us and they loved us. And, of course, um, I'm a part of the Patriot Pastors uh, group here in Oklahoma. And I go to these these meetings with uh, these other, uh, well, probably in the neighborhood of 100, about 100 pastors in Oklahoma. And they love me. They love First Stone Ministries. And so they got in behind me really fast, uh, especially when they saw that behind the scenes um, we were being persecuted and being threatened by the LGBT uh, community here. And even this woman who calls herself, the, you know, the free, free mom hugs, you know, which she's been on the media, you know, the idea that they're so loving. Huh. 
Well, Jeff, I'm going to tell you what, until you feel some of their love, you just will, you, you don't even know what that word means because it is not loving. When you start engaging with some of these people, they will turn on a dime and the venom and the cussing and the yelling at you is, is incredible. And yet they'll put out there that they're so loving and kind. So this was kind of the backdrop of some of the, really the, the, the oppressiveness that was going on behind the scenes in the planning of God's voice. And even in my own church, which I go to a conservative, charismatic, reformed church, you know, the senior pastor there, Dr. Sam Storms, mm-hmm. that some of the some of the staff there were like, oh, we can't, we don't want to announce God's voice, you know, because the biblical response to the querying of the church. And they became afraid of this idea, well, that that's offensive. Well, what's more offensive? You know, to me, what is offensive is this this perverse message of hyper grace, antinomianism, mixing it with psychology and then coming out on the other side of this and saying you can be a gay Christian and that this is happening in the PCA church and in the Southern Baptist Church and in the Gospel Coalition. That, to me, is offensive as somebody who has experienced radical transformation and coming out of homosexuality 37 years ago and seeing literally hundreds of men over the last 30 years in full-time ministry, seeing their lives completely transformed. And honestly, it's heartbreaking that some of the church, they don't get it. They don't get how, honestly, egregious this is to the Spirit of God. And, you know, a lot of people are talking about revival Well, if you're not courageous enough to stand up against sexual perversion and sexual identity perversion of an unnatural affection, there's something wrong, something desperately wrong. And, you know, we should be more in love with Jesus and his word and to provide a hope for change than fearing the LGBT or the or the gay Christians that are, you know, the victims. Because many of these people, they pull out that victim mentality. And that's what was happening behind the scenes. We're getting emails and complaints. You know, that's Stephen Black, that Peter LaBarbera. They're they're too radical. They're mean-spirited. You know, that Peter LaBarbera, he's always exposing the gay agenda. That Janet Medford, she's on her radio program, you know, saying all those things about those big, you know, evangelical popes actually exposing some of their inconsistencies. And um, and when you start looking at some of this, you're going, wow, Lord, is there even real the fear of you and the integrity of you in the church? And so that was that was the the going into God's voice yeah. behind the scenes story in a nutshell. And I know there's a lot. And honestly, Jeff, there are so many stories I could unpack that happen behind the scenes. So to say this, they said, and there were even some leaders and people I respect and love, actually. They said, oh, you won't have anyone show up to that conference. Nobody's going to show up. You'll have a you'll barely have a turnout. Do you know <laughs> that the bots with bot radio, mm-hmm. they got a hold of this new story 
of the oppression that was taking place. They got behind us. Janet Mefford started advertising. We sold out. Wow. That's and awesome. uh, it, it was, it, uh, yeah, on Saturday, it was standing room only. And Friday night was a little less, but it was still a pretty large crowd. And we only had room for uh, 350 people. Uh, but we ended up with probably over 400 people. They had a loft in these back rooms they opened up. And it was just an awesome time. And um, and then there was some gay activists that showed up on a local, you know, hate site. They call themselves hate trackers. And they were saying we were lying, that we didn't sell out. And, and we're like, well, the people that were there. And then what they didn't know is like we have actual photo evidence. So we took pictures from up above and we actually put them in our newsletter. It's like um, there's a lot of people here. And so it was great. It ended up being an awesome conference and had a great time putting it off, pulling Good. it off. Good, you know, and, yeah. and, and I think, and I think a lot of like your experience with kind of the leading up, it, it's showing two different, two different areas of pushback that a lot of people like you have, right? You you have some, you have the one type of pushback that's coming from outside the church, and then you have the yeah. different kind of pushback that's coming from inside the church. So you're kind of having to fight off both both sides. Now, I I think the public perception wise within Christianity, there's there's two camps, right? Uh-huh. Not not in reality, but public perception wise, right? You uh-huh. either you either have the Westboro Baptists or you have the Revoice. There's uh-huh. no there's no middle ground. So when you're defining your position and how you handle this issue within within Christianity and that sort of thing, how do you how do you explain and differentiate yourself from the crazy Westboro Baptist guys that are just going around and protesting at funerals versus what's here's the biblical response to dealing with this issue? Well, you know, we do that with testimony, and um, and we do it with tears, and we do it with the amazing Word of God. I love the Word of God, and we unpack Scripture. And uh, and and if anybody that actually sits down and gets to know me, you know that I'm gonna you know pull out the Word of God. It's always going to be built upon what the Scripture says, and uh, and so we do that. But you know. Uh, I love Psalms 19, right? Making wise uh, the simple uh, for the testimony of the Lord makes wise the simple. So we use the testimonies of the Lord, which is not just, you know, oh, yeah, that's Stephen Black. You know, he lived as a gay a gay boy, you know, from 14 to 22. Yeah, that was the dark side of my life. But the reality is, is that the word of God came in, like in Psalms 107, and I cried out to him, and it says there in four or five different places in Psalms 107 about being delivered from their distresses. And and right there in verse 19, it talks about crying out to him. And then in verse 20, it says, and he sent his word to heal them and to deliver them from their destruction. And on the night I got saved, I mean, he gave the law of God to me and said, if you do not accept me tonight, you're going to die. Well, I was a 22-year-old man in 1983, and you can do the math. You know, I'm, I'm hitting, getting ready to hit 59, but, you know, I had three adult children married to a woman and, and th- four grandchildren later uh, over these last 33 years. But as a young man, I was blown away by that. And then in the summer of 1983, we heard about this mysterious disease uh, called HIV. Back then, they called it GRIDS. And so I cried out to the Lord 
and he delivered me from my destruction. So we use the scripture in the testimony, making wise is simple. I mean, I could talk a lot about my story, but in a nutshell, he gave me the word of God, the law of God. When he um, uh, showed me, I just literally flipped open the Bible that night because this girl I had been with asked me the question driving home when I uh, prayed with her brother-in-law. She said, well, does this mean you're not going to be gay anymore? And I said, I guess it means whatever Jesus has for me. And I literally flipped open the big Douay version of the Bible. Um, and, and when I fell on the scripture, I fell on Leviticus. And this is a miracle. And, um, and it was the miracle from the word of God. And so that's how we differentiate ourselves from, you know, the crazies. And then also, honestly, from uh, the people in the, the Gospel Coalition or the, um, you know, the Living Out, you know, the Tim Kellers that are saying, oh, it's wonderful to have the church audit and we need to have inclusion. You know, that this mindset of actually embracing LGBTQ Christianity. And I know some of your listeners may go, what? It's like, uh, you need to do some investigation, folks. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of erosion going on in the church out there where a lot of behind the scenes where people are actually embracing some of this antinomianism, hypergrace, and psychology, and they're marrying those things together. You just pray a prayer, believe in your mind, believe in the historical facts of Jesus, and you don't have to change your orientation or your desires yeah. That's what's going on in the church. No, it's it's true, but but especially too with the Gospel Coalition because. Yes. And I, I was just on Mike Spaulding's show the other day, and we and we were talking about them specifically, and how they're they're the guys that have really ushered in a lot of this progressivism and false teaching and social justice stuff, and even yeah. now with Revoice and Living Out and all that kind of stuff, they're combining this heretical you know teaching coming from the left coming from non-christians coming from anti-god perspectives and blending it with biblical theology and trying to pass it off as this is biblical and to me that's the concern these are the guys that are like the beacons of truth within the church i mean you've got the al molers that i don't want to put tim keller in that kind of category but you've got john piper you've got all these guys they're, they're, My pastor Sam Storms is on the council. Yeah, I mean they're 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 giving it they're giving it credibility just by even being involved with that organization, which to me is what's so concerning and dangerous about that. Well, you know, and I was reminded by church leadership, and uh, and I actually want to have a little conversation with my elders, but I don't mind talking about it publicly. And that is in in 2012. Uh, when I showed the video of Alan Chambers to my church leadership and to the, my board of directors at that time, First Stone Ministries was a part of Exodus. And Alan Chambers said on stage, and then I showed him also what he had said on the Lisa Ling show and others, that you could be a practicing homosexual uh, and be gay and be Christian. And when he was actually saying that, I was, I was given the response from my leadership, and this is what literally they said. What will you do with this? And I said, well, I don't think I have any other response, but First Stone must withdraw from Exodus. And that was in January 2012. We didn't finally do it until April because many of us leaders were trying to walk through the Matthew 18 process and trying to bring correction to get Alan, you know, and the board to... 
uh, embrace a, a biblical orthodox view, but they didn't. And uh, But I was given an ultimatum. We will pull all financial support from you if you do not remove yourself from Exodus. And I was like, wow. So now I want to ask some of these leaders. So you're aligned with the Gospel Coalition? Is our church? Are some of the organizations you're about helping with all of this nuanced LGBTQ plus sign Christianity? I think the response should be that our church and anyone associated should flee from these places um, and and actually promote a a real whole gospel message that brings hope to people for change. And, and that means that their internal world of thinking, that their af- affections, their desires can really change rather than leaving people stuck. Because, I mean, what do we do with heterosexual sex addicts? Are we saying that's going to be their orientation and that they're just stuck like that and that they should live in a polyamorous, lust-filled world as a part of their orientation? See, so when you start unpacking some of this, It's like, oh, yeah, that is kind of strikes against the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus's words. You know, if you even look upon a woman, you've committed adultery in your heart. How much more so with sexual perversion, uh, Jeff? I mean, like, wow. It's like some of these people are not really thinking through it. Mm -hmm. And so it's a false compassion. It's not kind. And then you have people like Sam Alberry and um, and some and even some of the nuanced stuff with Rosaria uh, Butterfield, you know, with this idea of, well, we just need to be hospitable. Well, I'm sorry, I don't want people who are sexually broken and sexually addicted coming into my home with my grandchildren. And, you know, what about the first call for the protection of our children in a holy home? And it's like some of this stuff is like, um, not common sense thinking. And some of this really has, whether they know it or not, it is the proverbial frog in the pot, this kind of this, um, this, this ambivalent eroding acclamation of the LGBTQ narrative that has actually come into the church. And this stuff is headed up by the human rights campaign. And these are godless people that are eroding the mindset of even well-meaning Christians. Because I think Rosaria Butterfield and Sam Albury are probably, um, I, I, I think they're actually probably my brothers and sisters. I, I don't know that for sure, but I think they are. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, I'm not trying to disparage them, but there does have to be correction to some of this. It's not healthy. It's not holy, and it's not loving Jesus first and the church. The church, the ecclesia, is supposed to be the um, the separated ones that have an atmosphere, not a community center for the LGBT to just come on in. And, you know, yes, we need to do evangelism, but if we're not teaching our children the true uh, ecclesia, the true church, the sold-out ones— to Jesus first, we're doing a disservice. I mean, I think that's why Rosaria homeschools. Mm -hmm. It's why we homeschooled our children. You know, we wanted our children to have a mindset 
that was an actual real biblical orthodox position. So, you know, this is what's going on, you know, in a very broad sense, but honestly should give people real pause in what's going on, especially in the gospel coalition with many of their leadership. It's not just, you know, a couple. It's many of them. Yeah. Well, and, um, well, well what I was going to say really quick is I think I think that a lot of times Christians also need to remember that we need to kind of separate our response in the sense of how we deal with non-Christians that are within the gay community and how we deal with this issue within the church. Because to me, those right. are two separate things. So they for all- me— I don't I don't get as I don't get outraged over non-Christians acting like non-Christians. Like I'm I'm going to I'm going to love them. I'm going to be friends with them. I'm going to do what I do what I can to help point them in the right direction. But I'm not going to, you know, flat out shun them or reject them or be mean to them or be derogatory or anything like that. But where I think that we as Christians do need to take a stand is in dealing with a lot of these issues within the church. Because now, all of a sudden, now we've got organizations like the Gospel Coalition, which is ironic that they're the Gospel Coalition. When's the last time you've seen them write an article about the gospel? I can't even remember. All it's about is this social justice, leftist, Bernie Sanders-type teaching that they're blending with theology. I cannot remember the last time that I've actually seen them write an article about the gospel. That in itself is an indictment. It's scary. Yeah, and, and I think part of it is they've gotten so focused on the the cultural wars and the cultural issues that they're no longer using theological perspectives to deal with these issues. Now they're just using their own philosophy and discussing and debating and you know things like that. And then now we're just a full-on compromise of the gospel by the, the organization called the Gospel Coalition. It just makes no sense. Yeah, and isn't I mean, isn't it ironic because a lot of these leaders, um, of course, you have the ERLC, uh, which is uh, you know Russell Moore and you know his good buddy Albert Mueller. Um, you know, you have these people that say they don't want to be political. You know, and and John Piper, you know himself, um, uh, there was a story a, few, a story a few years back that he wouldn't take a position on abortion. And I think it was the Wisconsin legislation uh, that was, uh, you know, uh, talking about that. It might have been Michigan. It was one of those states. But I thought it was really ironic because they said, oh, we don't want to be political. We want to be all about the gospel. (laughs) And what's happening in the gospel coalition is they sound more like cultural Marxism. And and, and, and they're like, wow, you're actually pushing something that is very political in the social justice movement. And it's like that should get people to wake up if they would study some of the history and what some of the ideology is behind this. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, yeah. And, and the, the key thing that I think we all need to remember is that all, all this stuff with social justice, which a lot of this LGBTQ stuff is all it's all wrapped up together. Right. Oh, absolutely. But this this really is a political ideology that's being pushed into the church under theological terms, right? right. And so what, the, what they're really trying to do is they're trying to flip the conservative movement and the evangelical movement into a democratic voting block because they know that we're voting 90% conservative historically, right? But if right. they can flip that, all of a sudden now they can, they can get control, they can get power. And when you think about it, the Gospel Coalition, they're doing a good job at their mission, 
you fo- you follow the money. I mean, there the money's coming from the left. It's coming from the political organizations. This is very strategic. Uh, when I was in uh, I was in Washington D.C. several months ago, and I was talking with somebody with that's within the uh, Republican Party and kind of is in the know with the different you know movers and shakers. And he's not a Christian, um, but you know, he, I mean, he even he was explaining. He's like, no, it, it's a it's a targeted thing because they know if if they can flip twenty percent of Christians. There, there's no more Republican Party, right? So, so it, 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 this really is a political battle, but we're having to fight it within the, the theological realm, and that's the crazy conundrum that I feel like we find ourselves in. Is it's coming from all sides? Yeah, it, it, it is really sad, and uh, I mean, even at a personal level, I have seen um, people that I used to walk with in the church, um, you know, in our in our thirties and forties. Uh, my wife and I were looking at it now in the last, um, well, 15, 15 years. Uh, we have watched many of our friends flip, and they have gone into uh, a much softer position on the whole thing uh, gay. Uh, they've gone a much softer position on the issues of women. Uh, they've gone, uh, and when I say that, I need to clarify that, in that women should be like this this uh, marching feminism, okay? So that extreme, mm-hmm. and and very soft on that. Um, they they have become very flipped on the social issue, uh, um, social justice, and I mean you know like driving up to a house and seeing Bernie Sanders uh, uh, bumper stickers, and something I thought, wow, you know we would have real clarity on. Anyone supporting, honestly, the booing of God at the national convention, uh, the um, you know the anti-Israel position, the anti-church position, abortion, uh, and this thing on sexuality would make it very clear that no Christian should be you know aligning with that kind of mindset. But it, it is interesting this erosion piece that you know you're being kind somehow, that you're being nice that you're providing for the, the needs of the poor and people that, that are disabled and hurting. And so that's kind of the, the, the um, uh, erosion and avenue in which they're taking that is really deceiving people. But when you start looking at some of this and you start unpacking it, you realize really fast that even some of the power brokers behind this, their motivation is not really about that. Their motivation is about power and um, and that they are really um, they're driven by the pride of life and the lust of the eyes and um, and it's evil. And so, you know, it comes right out of the scripture uh, and we look at these motivations and it's it's um, it's pretty alarming. And then when you've got someone who won't take a bold stand on this, this kind of stuff and actually nuances it. To where it, it kind of sounds nice and won't even take, you know, a good hard line position of biblical truth, a black and white truth on human sexuality on these issues, like the trans issue. I mean, transgenderism, you know, which they one of the things I had a, a problem with the national statement is they only made it about the the L and the G. If you notice it, if you'll go back and you look. Interesting. You know, they mentioned the word homosexuality 
Um, but they do, they didn't talk about gay Christianity. They made it about transgenderism, and and that's a problem um, when we're just focused on just one really wild, broken mental illness, demonic, and we're not dealing with some of the the eroding effects of you know bisexuality or men who are caught up in pornography addiction. I mean, this is stuff that's real in the church that really does need to be addressed. And so it's getting a little bit of a pass that shouldn't. And when you start looking behind some of these, honestly, evangelical leaders, and why are they giving a pass on the gay? They have family members. This in their churches and their church family members have gay identified loved ones. And when I go now and I speak, I ask for hands. How many people know a gay person in their life? 90% of, of people in the church now raise their hands when I, when I go and speak. And when you start looking at that demographic of how this has affected now the church and the mindset of the church, no wonder they're going soft on these things. Mm -hmm. And so it's a real problem because I know that Jesus says very, very clearly about the spirit of Jezebel and, and the Nicolaitans. Uh, in Revelations chapter 2, if we would just look at the letters to, you know, Sardis and Thyatira, how, um, how honestly the red letters of Jesus are scary because it's a message for today. And it's something I've been writing on, something I'm, I'm talking more about, uh, the parallels of the tolerance of the spirit of Jezebel, who is bringing sexual uncleanness and sexual immorality behind the scenes in the church. And so this is, this is a huge problem. And, uh, and of course, in my line of work, it, it's front lines. And, uh, and I see it all the time, every week. Like yesterday, I met with a family, and it was heartbreaking. Uh, they didn't tell their son uh, who's 18 going into college and they're su supporting him that this meeting was going to be, you know, a biblical orthodox position on LGBTQ. So, you know, the parents are trying to do an intervention in my office and, um, and unfortunately it erupted in, you know, lots of tears yelling and him running out of our office. And, um, and, and yet this is what the church is dealing with. And they felt nowhere in the church that they could even talk to their church members about their gay identified son. And, um, and they've all, you know, these are upstanding members in a local church and this is in the Bible bill. Yeah. This is Oklahoma city. So if this is in the Bible, you know, belt region of the United States, what's going on on the East and, and West coast, mm -hmm. you know, so this, this is, this is real stuff. And so I am seeing it almost every week. I see this stuff and it's alarming. Yeah. I think it's preventing revival. Yeah. I mean, that would make sense. And, and, I, th and I think part, part of the problem too is that within the church, for whatever reason, we're not, we're not creating a, a, let's say a feeling of being able to be honest and open about what you're really dealing with. Everybody's putting their best, their best face forward, just like they are on social media. So when they go to church, it's the same thing. Like as if you're on Facebook or Instagram or whatever it is, you're just posting your best photo that looks the best. And then that sort of thing, uh -huh. it's the same kind of thing when you go to church, like you don't want to be open and honest because people will judge you and people can be overly harsh 
and yeah. I and I get it, and that's something that I think needs to be dealt with. But also, a lot of times pastors don't know how to respond to these things. They know right. they know how to give a sermon, they're dynamic, but they don't know how to deal with a lot of these things. How, well, how do we deal with that? And and it's so hard. I mean, and and I've had it happen to me, uh, so I know what it's like. But when you're a pastor, and most pastors, um, I think, have a real heart of compassion. Uh, for truth and for people. So if you do start stepping on toes, especially on this issue, what ends up happening is uh, well-meaning but uh, ill-informed or uneducated, biblically illiterate people will start screaming. Well, you're just being a bigot. You, you homophobe. You're, you know, that was so unloving. I mean, the very opposite, the antithesis of, of, excuse me, antithesis of what a pastor is all about. Yeah. You know, they're, they're, they're usually full of love and full of truth, but what does that do to them? And it ministers fear. And then if it, is there going to be a ruckus in the church? And um, unfortunately, you know, they need to get a backbone of steel. Like you had Michael Brown on mm-hmm. uh, several years ago. I asked Michael to pray for me. And this is what he prayed over me. He said, Lord, give him a backbone of steel and a heart of compassion. Because he knows I'm pretty black and white and pretty prophetic speaking. Right. And so those two things do need to kiss, right? We need courage and we need compassion. We need mercy and truth. We need real love, the love of God that has the fear of the Lord. But this foundation of the fear of the beginning wisdom then this love that compels, this love that compels us to really help the sexually, relationally broken. I mean, if this is true that, you know, focus on the family and some others have done um, these uh, surveys, 70% of the men in the church in this last week have looked at pornography. And 35 30 to 38% of the pastors across all denominations are also looking at pornography at a weekly level. If that's what's going on, then we need to provide a a pathway for confession and healing of our sexual sin. Never mind the LGBTQ, uh, because you know um, these same people may. Which I always ask the question is, why do you think it's okay to normalize something that is so unnatural? Do you not understand? what homosexuality is and the practice. Do you, do you not understand how debaucherous and destructive that lifestyle is? Why would you give that a pass? Why would, why would anyone with a heart of love not want to warn somebody and tell them, never mind even what the scripture says, the medical consequences of that behavior is egregious. And, um, and if we're really going to be a loving people, we have to. We have to try to help people out of that stuff and that there is hope for change. And that's what First Stone is all about. And that's what a lot of the people I run with are all about. But, you know, these pastors, many of them are hurting. They're alone when you do the surveys on pastors. You know, many of them don't have someone to talk to themselves. They don't have accountability. So, you know, we need to provide an environment to take them down a little bit off the pedestal to be human and uh, to grow in their own righteous identities in Christ that is fulfilled 
rather ju than just in name itself. And, and that's why, you know, Jeff, I am so honored in what I get to do. I mean, half of what I do is behind closed doors, meeting confidential, confidentially with lots of people. And over the last 30 plus years, I've met with a lot of people with now, even, you know, 15 years ago that have some pretty big names mm -hmm. and, uh, and lawyers, doctors, even people in Congress. And so it's like, wow, what an amazing blessing it is to be able to provide an atmosphere where people aren't going to be judged, but where people are going to be held accountable to the word of God to find lasting freedom. Mm -hmm. And uh, and we need the power of the Holy Spirit that does give the grace of God imparted to find freedom. And there's ways to do that pastorally. And, uh, and some pastors aren't equipped to do that, especially with sexual sin. It's like one guy this week, he goes, well, you know, even when I bring up the message of sex, my dad cringes and hides his face. He's an elder in the church. It's like, yeah, that would be a problem. Yeah. And he told his, he told his Christian son, son, do you know what a condom is? Yes. Do you know how to use it? Yes. And that was his sex talk. That's terrible. Yeah. It's like, where, where are you bringing the presence of Jesus into the sexuality? And honestly, that's kind of a picture that I kind of use. It's like, that's kind of the way the church deals with sex, you know, mm -hmm. broadly. It's, now, it, it's, how, it's how we deal with a lot of issues. I mean, it, it's just, it's, it's very surface level, you know, and what's, and what's fascinating is the world and the left and the non-Christians, they're going into painstaking detail, laying out their worldview and their positions and how to implement their worldview and their positions. And then the church is coming along with just the surface level of, well, it's bad. Right. End of story. Well, or, or yeah, not only is it bad, you're bad. Right. You're, you're so shameful if you have that. Well, they're already covered up in shame. Mm -hmm. That's part of the problem is the voice of the Lord is calling the Adam out from behind the bush to clothe him. That's what we're supposed to be doing pastorally, not like, and you're so glad I'm not God because I would have been like the Tasmanian devil in the garden because yeah. it was like <laughs> seeing all the wars and all the evil that was going to come in through Adam. But God, in his awesomeness, he calls out their name. And that is a real picture of the Holy Spirit calling the sexual sinner or the shameful, naked person out of their shame and to come out from behind the bush and have relationship and fellowship with, with the Father. And um, so, and that's what we teach people. And honestly, some of this is ingrained in people from their uh, church upbringing because 95% of the people we serve in our ministry are local church members. And, um, and so there's a lot of shame and a lot of darkness. And then it's like, oh, my goodness, I can really talk to Jesus about orgasm? You, you really can, and you should make it holy. And you should talk to the Lord about the members of your body and uh, to present them as members of righteousness to God, not as members of unrighteousness to sin. Mm, that might be Romans 6, where Paul was talking to the most decadent 
of cultures in dealing with our body members, our, our yielding our members. And when he said that you need, if you want to be, you know, con- transformed, what does he start out in Romans 12? He says, you know, present your body as a living sacrifice. And do you think that the Romans might have been sexually immoral a little bit? Oh, boy, were they ever And on these issues. And so, of course, there was the talk of these things and to be able to unpack to find lasting freedom and not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And and that's why I love using uh, the Conquer series. Uh, you know, I have a ever straight or, you know, the, the heterosexual sex addict men's group um, that we uh, use the Conquer series. And in there, they talk about the neural pathways of the brain and the corruption that uh, pornography actually changes the brain structure like crack cocaine. If we could start talking about that in the church, men can get free. It's like, yeah, I need healing. I need healing in the way that I think, in the way that I feel. And if that's true of porn addicts, how much more so all of this homosexuality and sexual perversion? Because it can really cause the brain to be very deceived. That's why it's called a reprobate or a or a, um, a turned over mind. It's because it actually physically affects the brain. And uh, yeah, some people need a lot of healing and unlearning and how to do that. And that's a lot of what we do. Yeah, yeah, which which is really good. And I think kind of like what we we're talking about a little, a little bit before about some of the problems with being able to be honest about this within the church. I think a lot of it goes back to we have the, these systemic issues within Christianity and within the church, both on the pastoral level as well as in the congregational level. And and I think part of the problem is we have the congregation, which it, which subconsciously thinks of themselves as the the audience. And so they show up and then they and then they play this game like they do on social media where they follow their favorite celebrity or whatever it is and then they critique them from afar. And I feel like that, that's the same thing we're having in the church where people show up and then their job is to critique the pastor's sermon. So then you have the pastor that's giving the sermons and he's and he's thinking, how do I not offend anybody? How do I not how do I not have all this blowback or whatever it is? And there's so and from that perspective, we have the system where the church is run like an organization instead of like a church family. You know why I'm laughing, Jeff? Huh? It's because um, I hear this coming from a thirty-something-year-old a, a man, and you get it. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, a lot of these guys my age and older that are in the Gospel Coalition, mm-hmm. it's like they need to hear that. Yeah, and, and they need to get it. Uh, because it, you know, it's great to study and learn the Bible and learn all your Greek and Hebrew. Uh, but if you don't, if you don't deal with some of this practical stuff and, and be really holy, actually, you know, exposing, uh, the darkness, like what Paul said in Ephesians 5 in context of sexual sin, ironically, is that the light needs to come in and there needs to be practical ways of empowering holiness, real holiness, so that we can be like what he goes on to say, you know, that beautiful representation of the mystery of a husband and wife, Jesus and the, and, and the, the bride, you know, the church, and to be this holy representation. And, um, and, and, you know, it is happening in some places in the church, and that's, that's exciting. 
Um, I, you know, I was a part actually out there with you where you all are at, um, well, down in San Diego and then in Riverside, um, uh, these, these amazing people that were a part of the, the, the Jesus people movement. Now they're, you know, my age and older and they saw miracles in the day and they've been just, uh, cultivating all these young people in their twenties and thirties to really start radically crying out to Jesus in prayer and worship. And then they just are lingering literally for four, five, six, seven hours of prayer and praying for people and worshiping the Lord. And they are watching the power of the Holy Spirit come. And people are literally experiencing healings and miracles in their life. And they're actually hearing God talk to them. I mean, like, wow, maybe that's church. Maybe that's really church. Yeah. And, you know, I'm all for studying the scripture, but, you know, it's like that's what will bring about some real change, especially when people are on fire, where they're when their literal entertainment is prayer, when seeking God and, and experiencing him and knowing him. I mean, that's what heaven's going to be like. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. I think we're supposed to be praying this thing like uh, as it is in heaven. Let it be on earth. Yep. And uh, and when we start doing that and, you know, people can call me whatever they want, you know, charismatic, crazy, um, you know, whatever labels. But, man, I'm I'm just trying to follow the scripture and follow the king of kings and the Lord of lords, uh, because, you know, Jeff, part of what I experienced that made me ruined for God was a part of a, a really strong Southern Baptist church in the early 80s that experienced what was called the fullness movement. And during that time, we, we radically saw Jesus move in our midst. And I've never been the same. And so I don't, you know, line up with, you know, man-made theology or even, uh, you know, denominations as much as really wanting to live by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God and to find my answers in the scripture. And they're there, not in, you know, man's theology. And when, when people start getting hungry like that and saying, you know what, there's more. There really is more and to, and to seek for him like hidden treasure, then I think some of this will start shaking loose. And so I am kind of excited that that's starting to happen in little pockets in different places, even in the United States, in some very leftist places like California, in Maine. I mean, in Maine, you know, it's like, wow, God is moving in different places and does that mean it's going to be a national revival? I don't know. But it sure is interesting what he's been doing. And also with some other leadership that I've been involved with that are seeing things even in some real high places in, in, in politics uh, with people that are being shaken to the core. Um, even our president, believe it or not. I, I think there's some reasons why uh, President Trump is doing some of what he's doing is because he's being influenced by people that have a biblical worldview. And uh, there's a lot of prayer going up. And so it's, it's exciting to see what is God up to and to ask that and ask him. And honestly, I'm in this position where on my little, you know, place on the map is, Lord, I just want to get in on what you're doing and to have that heart and that mind and, uh, and to see the Lord uh, change things up. Mm -hmm. And um, I'm not ready to announce some things, but there's some stuff that's that is being planned for this entire next year 
that um, I think could really help help just see some some things that we haven't seen in a long time, and uh, and that's what I long for because I've been honestly since you know I've been a Christian for 37 years, and it was only the first three years that I saw week after week like amazing things. And these last 30, 33 years, I haven't seen a lot of it since you've been alive, right? Yeah. yeah. I, 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 I've, been, alive. I've been around since 86. <laughs> yeah. 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 And that, you know, I'm, um, so 33 years, you know, yeah. 34 years. And my son, you know, was 88. My daughter, you know, she's 38. So she's been around from the 81. But the reality is, it's like, wow, some of you all have never, never really seen some of the things that some other people have seen or they you read about it in a book and it's like i i want to see that again you know Mm -hmm. did are these people making this up in the book or did these things really happen yeah you know and then there's of course there's people that say well no that only happened in acts and i'm like you might want to check out some church history because there's some things that have happened just like in the acts in people's lives, either they're lying or it really happened. Mm-hmm. And I, I saw with my own two eyes that it did happen in the eighties. Yeah. So that's what I want to see again. Yeah. And, and, and I know like you, you and I have had this conversation offline as well, where, you know, I'm, I, I'm a cessationist and yes. I'm, I'm a Calvinist. Right. Uh-huh. And so, but, but one, one of the critiques that I have of my own movement is that I feel like we focus so much on Bible study and not enough on prayer, you know? And like like you were saying, where like when we're praying, we want it to be on heaven as it is in earth. And I think a lot of that is when we're praying, we're aligning ourselves with God throughout the entire process. And I think that that's where a lot of the people within my camp completely miss out is that they're so focused on getting our minds right with the, the nuts and bolts of the theology that we're not focused on aligning our hearts with God and following after his purposes, which I think to a certain degree is why we're in the mess we're in right now. <laughs> I, I agree. And I, I think it is kind of fun. Um, you know, I'm a, I'm a covenant man. And uh, as far as covenant theology, mm-hmm. so I, I, uh, I do believe in eternal security, but not like a what a lot of Calvinists teach or a Southern Baptist teach. Um, and I have a lot of Southern Baptist friends that actually believe like I believe in that there is a covenant. And uh, but that we can save that for another discussion. There you go. <laughs> uh, and the theology of, of, of Lucifer and the Bible and heaven and uh, who goes there and who doesn't and who gets kicked out. Mm-hmm. And um, so, um, you know, there, there's there's a, a lot there. But this idea there's also different levels of like you brought up cessationism. Um, there's people that, I mean, honestly, I think they grieve the Holy Spirit uh, in that their unwillingness to even be open to what the Holy Spirit may or may not want to do in their own lives. And so, I mean, this is real basic fundamental Christianity 101, and that is how did you receive anything from God? How did you get saved? I hope it was by faith and uh, faith in his word, faith in his ways, faith in him as a person. And if we don't have faith, if we can't even believe that God is really almighty and powerful, 
we can't even believe in that, then no wonder he's not doing anything in those environments. Mm -hmm. Jesus could not do many mighty miracles in Nazareth because of their unbelief. And the very opposite of the, the ability for the Holy Spirit to actually do something is that there is a belief first, a fundamental just, yes, Holy Spirit can. And yes, Holy Spirit, we want you to come in the magnificent power of Jesus Christ. Come and do what you want. And until anyone, I don't care who they are, until anyone is open to that, they will not see um, much. Now, John Wimber was there. I don't know if you know who John Wimber was. I'm, was I'm familiar. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, he was there and he was like, no way, Holy Spirit. And then, of course, his story is he got zapped in the middle of the night while he was sleeping. And if you ever hear his story, his story's out there on YouTube. Um, and there have been other people that have had encounters with God in this in this dispensation of grace. Mm -hmm. And uh, so, yeah, we can we can unpack a lot of that and more stories in the future. Oh, yeah. There you go. Yeah. Well, well you know, I, but but I but I think part of it, too, is that. There, there is an extreme side of, again, within my camp where no miracles at all. God can't do anything supernatural today, you know, in X, Y, and Z. And you just go down the list. You know, whereas I, while I would say that I don't believe that the spiritual gifts are for today, that doesn't mean that God can't heal. That doesn't mean that God can't move. That doesn't mean that God can't do certain things. And that's where people go <laughs> so far on either side. And it's like you still have to acknowledge that there's certain things that are start that are still reality. <laughs> yes, you do. I think it's really funny. I mean, you have Michael Brown and Stephen Black on your on your on, yeah. on your conversations because we're pretty radical in those things. Mm -hmm. And not I, you know, I, I won't speak for Michael except to say that I I know him well enough to to feel like he's really solid biblically, mm -hmm. and that he'll try with all of his his core as a man of God to back up everything he says with scripture. And, uh, and I've told him, I said, when I grow up, I want to be like you, Michael. And, uh, and so I, I do the same, mm -hmm. uh, you know, let's go back to the word of God and let's unpack this, not with, you know, these eyes, you know, through a seminary theological view, but an open mind. And honestly, Jeff, that's why I like talking to you. Yeah. Uh, because I think you're there. I think you're really, you know, you're a delight to talk to and that God wants to do some amazing things, maybe even surprise you with yeah. some of his precious gifts. Yeah. <laughs> well, like, you know, like I, I think, but I think that that's part of, that's part of what's missing in the church right now is talking to people across theological lines, you know, yeah. because I, I got, I got messages from people when I announced that I had Michael Brown, that I was going to have Michael Brown on my podcast, I got messages from people that that m the majority of people would recognize their name, and they're like, "You, you're totally off your rocker. You're showing that you have no discernment." And I'm sitting here, and I'm like, "I don't know. I don't know if you saw my my conversation with with Dr. Brown, but literally the entire conversation was me saying, "I disagree with you, but what do you think about this?" You know what I yeah. mean? Like. I, yeah. I, I didn't endorse well, I a single thing that he did. I didn't, I didn't watch the whole, Yeah, I know. Yeah, you oh. know, and, and it's like for whatever reason with within my within my crowd, you're not even allowed to talk to somebody that disagrees with you. Even though Michael Brown and I, we both agree on all the social justice stuff. 
we we agree like we we went through a list of things that we we do agree with i do he's spot on when it comes to israel he's spot on when it when it comes to the necess- the necessity of preaching the gospel like there's there's those essential things well and i think he believes in the virgin birth i think that's pretty essential yeah the blood atoning sacrifice of jesus christ or you can't be saved mm-hmm I mean, I would say those are pretty essential. Yeah. That the Word of God is actually inspired. And, uh, you know, in errancy, I think he, he actually does believe that. Mm-hmm. I do. Yeah. Um, I mean, those are those would be what we would say are fundamental tenets of Christianity, right? Exactly. The bodily resurrection of Christ. Mm-hmm. Don't you think that's pretty fundamental? Yep. Yes. And the 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 physical ascension and the physical return. Wouldn't you say that that is pretty essential? That would, definitely be, that would definitely be on the list. Yes. And why can't we agree? If we can agree on those things, we can band together better. I mean, the left, they've got so many extremes, and yet they'll band together just to be anti-Christ, you yep. know, anti-Christian. Mm-hmm. Why can't we band together? Yep. And honestly, I think who, whatever flack you got for having Michael Brown on, that honestly to me reveals a a, a heartbreak uh, to the Lord. Um, yes, question him, question me, you know, and bring it, but bring it civilly mm-hmm. and let's talk about it. And if you could show me something in the Bible that I have said that is off, hey, I'll repent to the Bible right. because that's what repentance is. Is turning to Him, turning to Jesus, turning to the Word of God, mm-hmm. right? In yep. relationship, that's what it should be. Anyhow, not turning to man-made doctrines, yeah, and you know, churchianity. I'm not turning to that. I'm turning to Jesus. Mm-hmm. And if you can show me if I'm in error, you know, and I think that that's your heart, Jeff. Yeah, that's what I like about you. Yeah, well, you know, like you know, and, and the thing is, like, even even just dealing with this whole thing with like me having Michael Brown on, and then. You know, because I know, I know you you would tend you would tend to agree with him on the theological issues. I know another guy that I've had on multiple times, Ken Peters. He's like, whatever Michael Brown believes, I pretty much believe. You know what yes. I mean? And and so, yes. but 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 my thing is, I feel like you know, and I was very I was vocal about this in my conversation with him. Is you know, obviously we disagree on the charismatic sign gifts. Mm-hmm. Fine, great, that's fine. We had a good conversation about that, and then I and I, then I disagree with some of the people that he partners with. Great, fine. We have a conversation with that, right? But that's his conviction versus my conviction. That doesn't mean that I'm going to that I'm going to condemn him to hell like a lot of the reform guys do. That doesn't mean that I'm going to say that he's a heretic and a false teacher and should never be listened to on any issue. It's we need to be discerning about the specific issues and not feel like we have to go 100% you're all you're all good or you're all bad unless it's something that's like essential. And well, that's my and- concern. Well, and, you know, not that this needs to be a discussion about Michael, but I do want to mention one right, more yeah, thing yeah. about him. I, lo- I love him uh, because I've seen him in, the, in this issue on our ministry, and our ministry. People don't know this, but Michael had, and he's talked about this publicly, so this isn't confidential. Uh, a bro- I think it was either, uh, I think a brother-in-law uh, that actually he ministered to in his dying months, dying weeks of HIV, who I don't know if he won him to the Lord or not. I think he did, but he died of HIV. And so Michael and his wife are very, very compassionate, but truth filled people 
on this issue. And I have seen Michael unpack this whole gay Christianity thing as good or better than anybody. Um, I, 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 I put him up there with Rob Gagnon and Joe Dallas on these issues. Um, Michael Brown does an excellent job. And that's one of the reasons why I love him, because he is he is a prophetic pastor. I mean, he he gets the black and white of being the prophet. And he also is pastoral and kind. And sometimes people would say, well, you could learn from him. And I, I could, you know, in that sometimes I'm pretty black and white. But that's because, I mean, like a reformed smoker, who's going to speak out, you know, pretty boldly about how destructive it is, mm -hmm. right? Right. And like this, uh, I, I'm getting ready to release an article called The Prophecy of Pride. And, um, and this idea of taking back the rainbow. We don't have to take back any rainbow. That flag is not the rainbow of God. It's evil in the sight of God. It is a six-bannered flag that represents the debaucherous nature of man. And it is now called the pride banner. And pride comes before destruction. And there's a whole article uh, unpacking that. It's pretty hard-hitting. And I already expect I'm going to get a lot of pushback on that mm -hmm. from people in my line of work that, honestly, I think, you know, they're mixing compassion and truth to the side of error. And uh, and so but and I've just seen Michael do that so well. Yeah. And so I appreciate you having him on and having those discussions. I think more people like you, especially coming up behind us, us older guys, is what we need in the church. Jeff, you're awesome in that regard. Don't let it go to your head. Don't get proudful. Yeah, exactly. But, you know, stay <laughs> humble in the Lord and 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 teachable in the in in the Holy Spirit. And if and I'll just throw this out there, if Michael or myself have actual experiences that would say, you know, there's more, you might be just shooting up a prayer every now and then, Lord, I'm open to you. Mm -hmm. I'm open to whatever you want. Make me in your image, Lord Jesus, not in the image of even Calvin or the cessationists. Right. Make me in your image, Jesus. Isn't that a good prayer? Oh, yeah. And I, and I think that that's the way it should be for, for all of us in the sense of, like, and I always say this, I believe what I believe 100% until somebody shows me that I'm wrong. And then I'll believe that 100% until somebody shows me that I'm wrong. But the key is to always take what they say, take it back, take it back to Scripture, and, and make sure that it lines up. Um, I did want to get back to really quick uh, dealing with uh, you know some of the tech censorship that you guys had after the conference really quick. But I really quick before, you know, as when we're on the issue of Michael Brown, I was just going to say the one thing to his to his credit, right before we went on with the podcast, he's like, he told me, he's like, don't hold back. He's like, he's oh, like, yeah. he's like, if you come across as even being too nice to me, they will destroy you. And so he told me right from the get go, he's like, you better be, you better be willing to not be too easy or too nice or not ask the right questions because they will destroy you. And so he told me from the very start, don't hold back, ask any question you want, whatever it was. So to his credit, he's, he's basically just bring it on. <laughs> so, yeah. 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 You know, um, yeah, there's, there's an anointing of wisdom and maturity on his life. Mm -hmm. There just is. Yeah. Yeah. So, well, you know, so, and so I kind of wanted to, you know, close out a little bit, but bring it back to this whole tech censorship thing. Cause I know that you, you guys, after the God's Voice conference, you guys dealt with some direct tech censorship from some of the big companies. You kind of explain what actually went down there. 
Yeah, so um, what happened is um, I think some of these same gay activists that were hitting us before, they uh, contacted Vimeo. Uh, and Vimeo um, uh, is a private-owned company. And this church, Fairview Baptist Church in Edmond, Oklahoma, had uh, purchased you know, a full Vimeo account. And uh, they're live streaming, which was bought... I think it was called a company called Live Streaming, and they purchased it. And so they had Vimeo Live Streaming. And so there was the live streaming uh, of the conference, and it, it got pulled down pretty quickly. But then what they ended up doing is sending a message to the church, oh, by the way, we're deleting your entire account. Well, this account had five years of sermons. And they, you know, they had the backups, um, but they literally hit the de- delete button overnight. And um, so when you actually start doing some of the investigation of some of the people behind Vimeo, they, uh, they are as far left and ardently pro-homosexual as you can get. I mean, they, they probably had drag queens actually behind the scenes working at Vimeo. And, and I'm not being facetious. Uh, that's the kind of mindset they're operating from. And so it was a a pretty radical deletion. And so it actually became a, a pretty uh, fierce news story for a couple of weeks uh, in several of the conservative uh, news outlets that for the first time in American history that we've seen a church, not just a parachurch like Little First Stone, but an actual pretty large church get completely censored like that, where they hit the delete button on all of their sermons for five years because the church took a position on a biblical worldview on human sexuality. So that was pretty big. Mm -hmm. So that's what happened. And they didn't recover um, into Vimeo, and it could maybe turn into a lawsuit. But I think the powers that be on our side are... uh, positioning some things politically that maybe in the future there's some laws that can change in our nation. We're hoping that that will come about. But this is definitely on the radar Mm -hmm. of some of these people at a national level that are watching this censoring. And you may or may not have seen, and I don't know if your listeners have seen this, but President Trump himself has also taken on this issue because of you know, I mean, he's the probably the first president that has ever had this level of um, censoring and uh, attack from the media, uh, of the level of constant lies uh, in, in the media. I mean, Reagan went through it, but but this is really bad mm-hmm. at this level. And so he's he's also talking about a study um, and doing um, uh, yeah a study on censorship. Yeah. So this is good, um, and it certainly needs to be dealt with in our nation. Now, 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 what what do you think should be should be done with within this arena? Because you know, I I, I tend to be uh, you know total you know freedom of speech, freedom of businesses to you know do what they want with their company and that sort of thing. But then at the flip side, they have such a monopoly over this arena that essentially w- without these big tech companies, like we almost don't even have a voice anymore. So. Uh- yeah. So what? How how do we as Christians and even constitutional conservatives deal mm-hmm. with it, deal with this issue? Well, you know, 
um, as Christians, um, and I, I try to remind people this, even if we get another thousand years, which I really don't think we will, we're going to look back on this and who is your allegiance to? And is your allegiance to the Constitution or a libertarian mindset or even freedom of speech? What, what, is, your, what is your allegiance and I, and I believe that there is a reason that there are 24 thrones around the throne of God. Twelve of them are the tribe of Israel. Twelve of them are the apostles. And so you have a makeup of the kingdom of God that is going to be eternal and is eternal. It is eternal now. And so to the best of our ability, our, I believe our founders had a disposition at least, if not an ardent support of an idea that there would be a framework of freedom that was based in morality and holiness. And so I don't, I don't espouse to some of what my friends who are libertarians who believe that there, it should be anything goes in our country. I absolutely do not believe that at all because, um, why not lower the age of consent, right? Mm -hmm. Which a lot of these people want. Uh, I think there needs to be laws that are based on moral law, which we do have all matter of fact, all of our laws that are uh, clear cut uh, come from uh, actually Judeo Christian values uh, from the 10 commandments. And we used to have, you know, ardent support for, you know, things like sexual sin and adultery and covetousness and greed. And um, and unfortunately, those are kind of go by the wayside. So when it comes to speech, I think there needs to be some boundaries concerning things of morality, lying, perjury, things like that. Uh, I would actually like to see a more um, uh, clear way. And this is above my pay grade, but to be able to uh, stop the lying. And that if there is conclusive evidence of like one of these, like I'll just use MSNBC, if there is clear violation of absolute documented lying and perjury, perjury under oath, that they should be taken out. Mm. They should, those businesses should be eliminated. Uh, that would put the fear of God or at least the fear of uh, punishment to some of these social media platforms, if they knew that in their lying and censorship would be exposed, they would stop it immediately overnight. And there would be freedom of speech. So that's kind of my position on it. Mm-hmm. And I really do think that all this pornography and, and gross sexual perversion and violence uh, should be, um, uh, should be um, compartmentalized. Um, do, if people want to be able to have access to uh, some of that, uh, that should be at, at, at an adult level. Yeah. And so I, I am not against the idea that, you know, that that all has to be completely eliminated. But there, de- there definitely should be the tightening up of some of those values and morality that we used to have back in the 40s and 50s. Yeah. Yeah, well, you know, and, and I think, and I think, even even going along with that, the key is to pre- is to make sure we're protecting minors That's because exactly because, right. because adult, adults can make decisions, and I think that that even kind of leads into you know just even different conversations about how old should an adult be? I mean, you know, even because I because I know 
I've even I've even heard a lot of research and a lot of talking even on like transgendered issues where it's like for me because I tend to be a little bit more like a classic liberal or libertarian at least when it comes to political ideology right but it's still it's like when you're looking at being making the decision to become to change your sex and to have the surgery and go through all those things you're not even full your brain's not even fully formed until you're 25 years old so even if you make the consent at 18 you still got seven more years of development that you're stunting by doing that. So there's certain kinds of things that we have to do to, to make sure that we are keeping people safe, even just as they're maturing into adulthood. Well, on that, I mean, on the trans issue, you're, you're, you said exactly what we believe. Mm-hmm. And, and most, I would say, even in this line of work, who have seen people, um, you know, transition and then transition back uh, to repent and to, to really have a, a, a complete sold-out relationship with Jesus. One of the God's voice testimonies, matter of fact, she's in our office right now, Laura Perry. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we're, we're, we're working with her, and hopefully she'll be working with us more. Um, that may be coming in the ne- near future. But Laura has an incredible story. If you've never heard her story, you should, you should watch it on God's voice. Yeah, definitely. Her mom, her mom, her mom and her did this back and forth, um, testimonial. Uh, but many people like that. And, uh, and then of course we already know that this medicine, I can't remember the name of it, the, the medication that they're giving for hormone blockers, uh, for these, uh, preteens and teenagers sterilizes them. Mm-hmm. And so this is, this is pretty big stuff, and we don't even know some of these uh, drugs that they're giving them, uh, some of the long-term effects, because there hasn't been that many uh, studies. And so this it's pretty outrageous what's going on. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I, I totally agree. And I, and I think, the, again, the key comes back to education and make, making sure that people know what's actually going on with these things. So that way we can actually make the right decisions for society in general, because right now there's so much misinformation, no reality on both sides of the argument that people just need to know, okay, look, this is true. This is not true. So that way we can make the right decisions, I think. So, um, yeah. So, well, anyways, you know, as we're kind of wrapping up, I wanted to give you a chance to kind of plug, plug your show, let people, let people know when and where and how they can watch it and kind of some of the stuff that you've been covering and that sort of thing. Yeah. Thank you, Jeff. Um, yeah, it's based on out of my book, but ne- but not just the book, the concept of what freedom is. So what is real freedom? And so the name of the book and the show is called Freedom Realized. And so we we are going live. So it's Freedom Realized Live. And it's at 10 a.m. Central. And it streams on uh, my personal Facebook, the author page, Facebook, and on Twitter and YouTube. And, uh, and then it gets reposted to, uh, stephenblack.org. And in the future, we're looking at getting the, the, uh, creative, whatever code people that know more about that than I do, uh, to embed it to where it streams also live to the website. And, uh, but right now it's on YouTube and, and all of the last episodes are all there. Uh, but yeah, and this, this Friday, um, I'm having a story on that is incredible. Uh, it is a lady. I won't mention her name yet just in case she um, she bugged out on me uh, a, a week or so ago. She had a family thing come up, and so she wasn't able to, 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 to come on. Uh, but her name is April, and uh, she um, 
she has an incredible story and one that is miraculous of having point point blank encounter with a gun with someone trying to kill her and how that was an answer to prayer. You ask Jesus for a miracle. It's amazing the kind of miracle he can give. She should be dead and she's not. And her story of coming out of lesbianism and how she met her husband. It's just an incredible story. And so we do that every week to try to have bold truth, bold courage to call people to be active and truthful and then bold compassion. And that's yeah. Freedom Realized Live. And it's on freedomrealized.org as well. Uh, that's my book website. Perfect. Sounds good. And again, I, I always enjoy our conversations both online and offline and that sort of thing. And But yeah, yeah I'm, I really appreciate you coming back and you know ha- having this you know, for another hour and a half. And it was a blast the whole time. Yeah, thank you, Jeff. Thank De- you so much. Definitely. Thank you. And we'll, we'll do it again sometime down the road. Okay. I look forward to it. Okay, you. you too. Thanks. The holidays are a moment of togetherness and joy and a reminder of how tradition creates happy and fulfilled communities. Make this holiday season patriotic with a visit to National Harbor and its stunning new Spirit Park. Marvel at one of the largest American flags in the region and beautiful displays of American art. Make this holiday season the most meaningful of all at National Harbor. Learn more at nationalharbor.com dash spirit park. HIV epidemic is not over. HIV is still here. The face of HIV is so diverse. The biggest thing to reduce HIV stigma is just to talk about it. Testing and PrEP and HIV treatment and how effective it is today. Undetectable equals untransmittable. Whether you're positive or negative, there's not a wrong door. Whether it's testing or whether it's treatment, do it for you, Montgomery County. Learn more about HIV testing, treatment, and prevention at doitforyoumc.org.